0: Stephanie Teen, our speaker today, continues with Nehemiah. The work has been completed, and now is the time for joy. This is Awaken Online, a virtual library of the Sunday morning messages at Awaken Church in McMinnville, Oregon. As you know, we've been focusing on the book of Nehemiah, and I had a totally different plan for what I wanted to share with you about uh, but I think that's going to keep percolating because I read chapter eight and was like, "Oh man, <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics." So we're gonna we're gonna do chapter eight. Um, the first seven chapters we know focused on reconstruction of the wall, right? The vision, the plans, the leadership of Nehemiah, and the politics and threats that created some of the need for that physical security. But starting in chapter eight. The focus shifts from reconstruction to restoration of the people, the revival, consecration, and renewal of covenant. Much of that comes through instruction in God's law. The people turn from workers to worshipers, and we get to see the reinstatement of one of their celebratory feasts. As Mike reminded us last week, the wall was completed in the sixth month, and in chapter 8, verse 1, we see that on the first day of the seventh month, all the people came together in one spirit, a spirit of unity in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. The people had a hunger and a passion to learn the word of the Lord. We see in verses 2 and 3 that he read to men, women, and children— all who were able to understand from daybreak until noon and that the people listened attentively. Can you imagine doing this today in our soundbite society? (laughs) I'm sure that doesn't apply to any of us. We would all love to sit and listen to the Torah for hours on end, right? Okay. They were focused and willing to be instructed. They did not have the opportunity to hold a copy of the Word in their hands, right? And we are privileged to not only have the law that they heard, but the New Testament teachings of Jesus as well as the Holy Spirit. In fact, Monty, can you grab me a copy of the Word out of the copy room? Bible. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Often when there is an abundance of a resource, we take it for granted. Like we can just go out and grab another copy if we didn't bring ours in, right? We've got it everywhere. we've got it on our phones, in any uh, NIV, NASB, King James, whatever your choice. And in verses five and six, we see as the book of the Law was opened to the people, was opened, the people stand up for the reading of the law. Ezra begins to praise the Lord, and the people join in and fall down to worship Him. These people were eager to hear and understand what God had instructed them to do. Nobody told them to respond this way, right? This was a gut response. What's our gut response? How do we respond to the word of the Lord? Do we reach for it at daybreak and have a hard time pulling away from it? Or do we reach for other things first? They had a hunger and passion to hear and learn. And when we're hungry and passionate about something, we are willing to sacrifice our time and our energy for it. 1 Peter 2 says, Like newborn babies, we should crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Yeah. In verses 7 and 8, the Levites, who are the priests, help the people not only hear the word, but understand it. Today, we have good teachers, but also the Holy Spirit, who can reveal and interpret Scripture for us, helping us to discern the truth, waiting like golden nuggets for us to uncover. Sitting at the feet of a teacher and getting understanding is good. Right? But like we covered earlier, we each have available as many copies and translations of God's Word as we'd like to have which means we each have a responsibility to study and understand what it means and how that should affect the way that we live our lives and run our home, as Mike mentioned last week. As we do, it's also important to study and understand the original context for what was said instead of trying to interpret it within the context of our own culture, which could lead to misinterpretations and misapplications. Starting in verse 9, we read, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, the Levites who were instructing the people, said to, them, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Thank you. I got a devotional Bible for dads. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, if our governors and all of our religious teachers were proclaiming God's word together, that would definitely be a holy day, right? Right. Okay. Starting in verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They were weeping, rejoicing, declared it a holy day because they were able to hear and understand God's word to them and then put it into practice. And we will see that they didn't hear, just hear the word and say, that's good, and then walk away and forget about it, at least not immediately. The understanding of God's word brought transformation to their lives, which Romans 12 tells us should be a continual process in our lives. I believe part of why they were weeping was due to the joy of rediscovering their identity, one of our key words up here. Even though they were chosen, they were the chosen people, right? They had suffered severe consequences for their continual rejection of God. And living in exile as slaves for 70 years, can burn a different picture into your mind of who you are. They didn't have their land or their temple. They didn't know how to relate to God without the practices they were used to and wondered if they'd lost their special relationship with him. But we see in Nehemiah, they are finding God was willing to restore them and to rebuild their home. And on this day, God reaffirmed to them that he was still their God and they were still his chosen people. That was a joy that imparted strength. And we can still find joy today on the road to restoration. When God convicts us of sin, we can confess our sins to one another, pray for each other, and be healed, which leads to joy. Don't wallow in shame and guilt, because that is not the same as the conviction of the Lord. And uh, those are not the same as the conviction of the Lord and they're not from the lord. Shame and guilt are not from the lord. He wants you to know today that he is still your god, that you are the father's child, the son's bride that he is longing to return for and the holy spirit's temple. That is your identity when you receive Christ. So the next day, the day the second day in the 7th month, we read that the heads of each family came together again and continued to search God's law. What they found led them to celebrate the feast of tabernacles. So we're going to start reading in verse 13 until the end of the chapter. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booze, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booze on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So the Feast of Tabernacles is the third mandated annual pilgrimage festival or appointed time on the Jewish calendar, and the only one not yet fulfilled. It continues to be the most festive time of the year in Israel. It is common for Israelis to share gifts and food baskets with their friends and family during the Feast of Tabernacles, similar to our fall festivals, including Thanksgiving. The three festivals are all connected to Jesus— the first was Passover, a reminder that the Israelites, while enslaved in Egypt, had to sacrifice a lamb and cover their doorposts with the blood of that lamb to avoid destruction. This was the eve of the Exodus and led to the liberation of God's people from slavery. We know that this was symbolic and ultimately fulfilled in the death of Jesus on the cross, the Lamb of God, who we sang about this morning, who takes away the sins of the world for all those who believe and receive and is our liberation from sin and death. The second festival was 50 days later and called Shabbat, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. The name Feast of Weeks was given because God commanded in Leviticus to wait seven weeks from the second day of Passover to celebrate. And the word Pentecost derives from the Greek word for the number 50. Shavat celebrates the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai as well as the grain harvest for the summer. Jewish men would come and present their first fruits offering at this time. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended into heaven to wait in the city until they received power from on high. It was during the appointed time of the Pentecost when Jews had gathered from all over the nation that the Holy Spirit fell like fire on the disciples and Peter preached a sermon that added 3,000 new believers to their numbers. They were the first fruits of a new harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles is the final of seven holidays and the third and final pilgrimage of the pilgrimage festivals. To celebrate this festival, God commanded the Israelites to dwell in booths for seven days, with a special closing day on the eighth, in which no regular work was to be done. The seventh day of the festival is called Hoshana Rabbah and includes a water pouring ceremony. Now, this is not mentioned in the Bible, but is a ritual started sometime during the Old Testament days. It was only mentioned in the Talmud, which is the oral law honored by the Jewish people. The tradition was widely practiced in Jesus' lifetime. During the water-pouring ceremony, or water-drawing, the priests would pour water over the altar that was earlier drawn from the Pool of Silo. The name Hoshana Rabbah means Great salvation and was derived from the words of prophet Isaiah. He wrote, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, in chapter 12, verse 3. Thus the people were drawing and pouring the water while praying for salvation. Apostle John calls it the greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it is probably no coincidence then that it was on this day that Jesus was on the Temple Mount to tell Israel that he can give them living water. John seven thirty seven and 38 reads, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I would like living water flowing for me. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. all right. This festival was to remember through the ages that God made their ancestors dwell in booze after the exodus from Egypt. However, it is also believed that dwelling in booze during this festival had additional purposes. The booze or the tents are seen as a symbol of the fact that we are just sojourners here on earth. Right? Second Corinthians 5, 1-4 through 4 states, For we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, talking about our physical bodies that... Tend to waste away, right? We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. It is easy to get caught up in what we can see in the temporary. We need to continually long for the unseen that will swallow up what is mortal. Sheltering in booths or tents is also a reminder to people that we must look to God for sustenance. He was the one who provided the manna, the quail, and the water and kept them from harm. Again, we have an abundance of resources in our country and we take food and medical care for granted sometimes. Additionally, the temporary structure, which was not completely closed off to the elements, is a reminder that God is the only true source of security and peace. The message of the Feast of Tabernacles is also about the future, the second coming of Messiah, which is the part that has not yet been fulfilled. This will be a joyous day for all who know him. When the Messiah comes, he will collect the harvest for the Father's kingdom. In Jewish synagogues, people often read from the book of Zechariah, especially chapter 14, where we find this is the one feast that is promised to be celebrated when Jesus returns to rule and reign. Zechariah 14 clearly spells out that there will be some terrible times, as well as a massive earthquake that will split the Mount of Olives in two. Then the Lord God will come and all the holy ones with him, it says in verse 5. Starting in verse 6 of Zechariah, it says, On that day there will be no light, no cold or frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord in his name, the only name. The whole land, from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, will become like the Arabah. But Jerusalem will be raised up and remain in its place from the Benjamin Gate to the side of the first gate, to the corner gate, and from the Tower of Hanel to the royal wine presses. It will be inhabited. Never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure." This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet, their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. Doesn't sound good. Yeah. On that day, men will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Each man will seize the hand of another, and they will attack each other. Judah, too, will fight at Jerusalem. The wealth of the surrounding nations will be collected great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. A similar plague will strike the horses and mules, the camels and donkeys, and all the animals in those camps. Then, the survivors from all those nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptian people do not go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you get the idea that this is an important festival to the Lord? Yeah. The fulfillment of this feast gets closer every day. I look around and I can see signs of fall approaching. The leaves are already starting to change color and drop on my flower baskets and trampoline. (laughs) The squirrels are busy. The wasps are even more angry. As much as I don't want to lose summer, it's clear that fall is coming. Once fall finally arrives and I give myself over to it, then I'm about all things fall. But for now, I don't want to think about it, right? Similarly, we can read Scripture and know that we are close to the return of Christ and the prophetic fulfillment of the Festival of Tabernacles. One exciting thing that I heard at the IF conference in February that I shared with some of you is that about 10 years ago, it was estimated that translating the Bible into all the heart languages, which Scripture indicates will be done before Christ's return, would take about 100 years, they said 10 years ago. However, several organizations unified their efforts— and now, just 10 years later, they estimate they will have all scriptures translated by 2033, only 10 more years from now. It's amazing what a spirit of unity can do, right? That work has been greatly accelerated. I heard two analogies yesterday when listening to the audiobook Resilient by John Eldridge, which I highly recommend. He noted that a compass, when it reaches true north, just spins. And circles and starts to look chaotic similar to when a dog knows his master's return and begins to kind of go wild right perhaps that explains some of the chaos we see in our world our master our true north is not far off we've been warned to stand firm until the end don't get lured away by things of the earth and our desire for life to be good We have to be wholehearted for God. I encourage you to find the joy of the Lord to help strengthen you during this time, joy that comes from restoration and celebration of all that God has done for us and will continue to do. As mentioned in the announcements, many of us will be celebrating a version of the Feast of Tabernacles at Festival of Tents next month. Great joy is found there, and if you haven't been yet, I would encourage you to come, even if you can only come for the day. And there is a motel close by if you don't like sleeping on the ground. But, okay. uh, the day after Sukkot, Sukkot sorry, Sukkot—I'm not Jewish. Okay—is also a holiday called Shemini Atzeret. God gave the Israelites specific instructions in Numbers twenty-nine thirty-five to set it apart, saying, "On the eighth day, hold a special closing assembly and do no regular work." The word shemini comes from the Hebrew word for eighth, and atzeret means to hold back or to remain. The name was chosen intentionally. After the full seven days of Sukkot, God asked the people to stay and to dwell with him for another day. The eighth day becomes a new beginning, and it's a privilege to remain in God's presence for an additional day. This speaks to me of God's desire for an ongoing relationship with us. He doesn't want the fun to end any more than we do. Shemini Atzeret is also associated with the first rains of the season. After a hot, dry summer in Israel, the whole nation would pray for rain, both in the ancient days and today. Rain is mentioned 105 times in the Bible and is often a symbol of God's blessing and mercy. Rain is life giving, purifying, and refreshing. Do you need a blessing? a refreshing or a new beginning? Well, we have some people ready to join you in prayer for that if you like. Do you want to remain in God's presence? Do you just want to worship Him for all He's done? Feel free to remain. Continue to worship, glorify Him, and give thanks to God. Otherwise, you're dismissed to go in the joy of the Lord and have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Awakened Church, please visit our website, awakenmac.com That's A-W dot C-O-M